Ephesians chapter 4. Now, last week we said we talked about three things every person should know. You guys remember what they are? Number one, you're not in control. You need to know that. You're not in control. Ultimately, God is the one that's in control of everything. He's going to cause everything to come about and to end up and culminate according to his plan and his purpose. Saying, well, Pastor Jeff, are you saying we're a bunch of robots and we don't have any choice in the matter? No, we're not. We do have free will. But I like to say that we have free will within the constraints of God's plan and God's purpose. How many of you know this thing is going to end up and wrap up the way God has said it's going to? And ultimately, it's going to be His way, not our way. So we need to live with that knowledge that ultimately God is the one in control. We need to live knowing that we're not our own. And we need to live knowing that this is not our home. We should not become so attached to earthly things, temporal things, that it begins to dictate how we live and our attitudes and in, in, in the decisions that we make. We need to always keep in mind that this ultimately is not our home. This earth and everything that's temporary, this flesh, everything is going to pass away. But there is an eternal kingdom that we enter into that God has given us in Christ Jesus. It's the unshakable eternal kingdom. And related to those three things, we're going to talk about three things as believers that we should know. And, and, and number one is we, sh- we should know what it means to live under the Spirit's control. If we say we're not in control, then who's in control? Who should be the controlling factor of our life? And as believers, we need to know what it means to live under the Spirit's control. We need to know what it means to belong to Jesus. When the scripture, when Paul said, I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price, what what does that mean? Is that just a nice saying or is that a literal truth that we do not belong to ourselves anymore? We have been purchased and we belong to Jesus if we have been born again. I mean, we, we belong to him. He's redeemed humanity. We really belong to him. The question is, if we, we get born again, we're going to enter into his life. But, but we don't have the ultimate say of what happens to us. We don't get to choose where we're going to spend eternity unless we choose Christ. You say, well, I, I don't want to choose Christ. I don't want to live for Christ, but I don't want to. I want to I be in paradise, I want to be in heaven, but I, I don't want to follow Jesus. Sorry, that's impossible because he said, I am the only way. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So we need to know what it means to belong to Jesus. We need to know what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Not to become so attached to this life, this temporary life, and this temporary earth down here. But today, we're going to concentrate on the first one, which is what it means to live under the Spirit's control. We are to live under the control of the Spirit. Now I see my grammatical error there. We charismatics, we call it being filled, to be filled with the Spirit. So what does it really mean to be filled with the Spirit? We're going to talk about this today. Because I absolutely believe we've made this way more complicated way more spooky than it needs to be. And we have missed the essence of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Now I want you to turn off your theologies of man, your doctrines of man, everything men have told you you should believe, and let's return to the simplicity of this word and let's let the Bible teach us what these things mean. Amen? I'm telling you what, the traditions of men, they die hard. The sacred cows of men, we, don't, we, we like to keep them around. They become idols in our life. But there's only one thing that should dictate our beliefs and our faith, and it's this Word of God right here. And that's it. That's it. So let's talk about what it means to live under the Spirit's control. Let's look at Ephesians 4, chapter uh, Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Paul is talking here about unity. And he's telling the 
believers in Ephesus, he said, there is one body and one spirit. Christ's body is not divided, amen? If it is, we got a problem. There's only one spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope, we have one hope, his name is Jesus. And your calling, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one spirit, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. There's one spirit, there's one baptism, there's one faith, there's one Lord. Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So is that a suggestion? Is to be filled with the Spirit a suggestion or a commandment? It's a commandment. The way that sentence is structured... It is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Now, turn your theology off. Okay? Some of you, you know, there's people here from all kinds of backgrounds. Some of you may be saying, well, the church I grew up in taught me that, 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 that that's not real anymore. That passed away with the apostles. No, it didn't. See, if, if what you believe being filled with the Spirit is what you believe it is, then you're confused. But if we understand what it really means to be filled with the Spirit, it's impossible that it could pass away. Because to be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit, to live under the Spirit's control. This phrase, be filled, literally means, it, it speaks of, being controlled by. It, it speaks of an ongoing, continuous action. Be filled with the Spirit is not something that happened to me 20 years ago when I came up to the altar and I got goosebumps on my goosebumps and I was filled with the Spirit. And I've been filled ever since. Well, maybe you have or maybe you haven't. I don't know. But coming up to the altar and getting goosebumps isn't how you get filled with the Spirit. It is an ongoing, continuous process, reality of your life, of your walk of faith. It must be. Living under the Spirit's control is not a one-time event. It, it should be a continuous truth and reality that I live in every day. So this phrase, be filled, is an ongoing, continuous action performed in the believer by who? By the Holy Spirit. He is the one that performs this in me. He is the one that exercises and exerts control over me. This ongoing continuous action is described as an ongoing control exerted over the life of the believer by the Holy Spirit. Now it's interesting, in John 16, 6, Jesus has just told, in John 16, Jesus has just told his disciples that, let's, let's just turn there real quick. John 16, Jesus says in John 16, let's just begin in the first verse, read with me, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Now listen to what he tells his followers here. How would you like to be on the receiving end of what, what Jesus is fixing to say? They will put you out of the synagogues, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. They're going to put you out. They're going to shun you. They're going to kill you. <laughs> but, but they're not doing it because of you. They're doing it because of me, Jesus says. He says, I'm telling you these things that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. I told you, when they get ready to kill you, you're going to remember, I told you, they're going to kill you. When they cast you out of the synagogues and, and shun you, you're going to remember, I told you this was going to happen. 
And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But, but now I'm getting ready to leave you. I'm going away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. It's the same word, same phraseology, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, sometimes we read over these things and we, we just kind of read over it and it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. But I want you to understand, these men that have been with Jesus now for, for over three years, he's telling them, they are going to kick you guys out of the synagogue. You're going to lose your faith. You're going to lose your status. They're going to kill you. They're not going to respect you. You're going to lose everything, including your life. And you're going to lose it because of me, because they don't recognize who I am. But I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you'll remember that I warned you of this. I didn't tell you this at the beginning because I was with you. And you couldn't handle it then. But I'm telling you now because I'm getting ready to go away. And you're going to have to face this reality. And I perceive that your hearts are filled with sorrow. I think ours might be too. In other words, here's what Jesus literally is saying to them. You, I perceive that you are consumed with sorrow right now. Sorrow was ruling and controlling their thoughts, their emotions, and their actions right then. Be filled with the Spirit is the same exact thing. Let the Spirit fill you. Let it consume you. Let it control your thoughts and your actions. Let the Spirit dictate everything you do. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. And let's look at verse 18. So the power and the control of the Holy Spirit does not come and go. Do you guys realize that? The Holy Spirit, when, when you receive the Holy Spirit, He doesn't come and go back and forth from heaven. And when you're not filled, He's not in there. Or, or when you're not filled, He somehow has diminished in you. And you got to get more of him back in there because he's emptied out. Uh-uh. That's not the way it works. The power and the control of the Holy Spirit does not come and go. If he is in us, he remains in us in full power, taking full control as we what? As we fully surrender. He can only have full control of us as we fully surrender to him. Amen? You understand that, that God will not make you, just like he does not make you get saved. He gives you the choice, and if you surrender to him and identify with his death on the cross, and you're crucified with him and buried with him, he will raise you up with him and give you life. Now that you have that life, he says, now that my spirit is in you, I want you to allow that spirit to control you. I want you to allow the Spirit to dictate the decisions you make and the places you go and the way you walk and the way you talk and the way you think so that as the Spirit takes control, as the Spirit fills your life, takes total, whole control over you, the world will see the reality of Christ in you. We sang a song today. They will know we are Christians by our love. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. What is love? It's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit that's listed in Galatians 5.22. How is the world going to see love through me unless I allow that spirit to control me? See, we, we like to talk about the being filled with the spirit because we're in love with gifts. and We want to see gifts and we want to see things happen. And a question came to me last night. We, we want to walk in all this power, but we can't even walk in love. The church can't even walk in love, but yet we expect and we want to walk in all this power. You think God's going to let us walk in power if we don't know how to walk in love? It's exactly why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 was a, was a reaction to what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah, the gifts are real, but you guys don't need gifts. You need love. You need to understand 
what these gifts are for and why they're here. And if you don't have love, they don't mean anything. So I think it's interesting here that Paul compares being drunk with wine with being filled with the Spirit. Have you ever, have you ever wondered why Paul uses being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit in the same verse? You think Paul is just saying, well, it's a sin to drink, so don't drink. Oh, and by the way, be filled with the Spirit. He's, he's talking about wine, being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit for a very important reason. To be drunk with wine is to surrender your control. I mean, I, you don't have to show me a, give me a show of hands, but if anybody here has ever been drunk before, who's in control when you're drunk? Not, not me, that's right. Now, I'm not proud of it, but I'll just tell you straight up, before I came to faith in Christ, I, I used to get drunk every weekend. At least every weekend. And one of the reasons uh, I love to get drunk is because I love the way it made me feel. I would say things and do things under the influence of liquor that I wouldn't dream of saying or doing in my right mind, if that's what you want to call it. <laughs> Whatever you want to define a right mind as. I had a friend when I was in college. He's about as big around as this rail right here on this pew. And he probably weighed about 140 pounds wet. He was a little taller than me. But when that guy got alcohol in his system, there was not anyone or anything he was afraid of. And I'm telling you what, we had to pull him out of bars, and I believe we literally saved his life on more than one occasion. I mean, there was just no fear in him. Now, when he wasn't under the influence of alcohol, he, he wouldn't do stuff like that. Why does Paul say, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit? Because see, when we get drunk with wine, we come under the control of that wine's influence. He says, don't surrender your control to wine. Just like when you get drunk, you come under the influence of that wine. He said, be filled with the Spirit. Come under the control and the influence of the Spirit. Let the Spirit control you and influence you just like that wine does when you get drunk. You're not walking around reasoning out of your own mind, you're letting that alcohol speak through you and act through you. Let the Spirit do the same thing. Let the Spirit take control of you. Let the Spirit influence you. Let the Spirit cause you to speak. Let the Spirit cause you to act. Let the Spirit give you a boldness to proclaim the Word of God. Let the Spirit give you courage to go out and do the signs and the wonders that God desires to work through you. Let the Spirit take control of you. That phrase, be filled with the Spirit, is literally what that means. It's what that means. It's what the commandment is. The commandment is to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. God didn't just give us the Holy Spirit so we could be guaranteed to go to heaven one day. God gave us the Holy Spirit right here on this earth because He's given us a mandate to occupy until He comes. And that word occupy means literally be busy about the business of the kingdom. Well, how am I going to do that? I'm going to do it by allowing the Spirit to fill me, to control me wholly and totally. And the Spirit knows what the business of the kingdom is. So there's this, there's this expression says, one baptism, many fillings. But I'm going to tell you only half of that is true. There are not many fillings in the sense that we often think of. There's only one baptism. There is one baptism and there is constant control. If the Spirit's in me, the Spirit doesn't empty and then I fill him up again and he empties and I fill him up again because the Spirit is not a substance like water or gasoline. The Spirit is a person that should control me. Amen? So think about this. The phrase many fillings indicates that the Holy Spirit is some kind of force or power that we're filled with and refilled with, kind of like a gas tank or a water bottle. The Spirit doesn't run out of me. He doesn't leave me. I don't burn the Spirit out, and then i got to get filled up again with more of the Spirit. That, that's wrong. I, listen, I thought that way for a long time. But that's not 
that's not what the Bible teaches. That might, might be what some men teach, but it's not what the Bible teaches. So let's get back to what the Scripture teaches. The Spirit is not a certain amount of power given to the believer, which we use in our activities or our ministry and then get refilled as we use it up. Listen, church, the Spirit is a person. The Spirit is a person who controls another person. What person does the Spirit want to control? He wants to control the person of the believer. The Spirit is a person of the Godhead controlling the person of the believer. The Spirit's not a force. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. He's a force out there. No, he's not a force. He's a person. So when you, when you come home, I used this example last night. I don't know where my wife is. She's not here. But, but, but if I came home and I walked in the door, hi, honey, how you doing? And she's standing at the door looking. What are you, what are you looking for? I'm waiting for the rest of you to get here. What do you mean you're waiting for the rest of me to get here? Isn't there more of you coming? No, I'm it. I'm a person. I'm, I'm all there. I'm, I am a person. I just walked in the door. I'm here. There's not more of me that's fixing to come. See, but that's the way we think of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. We look up to heaven and we sing these songs and we utter these prayers. We want more of you, Holy Spirit. More of you, Holy Spirit. God, give us more of your spirit. Give us more of your presence. That's like saying when I come into the house, there's, there's more of me out there somewhere that needs to come in. Listen, if you are the house of God and the person of the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, there's no more of him that's left to come. Either he's in you or he's not in you. If I'm in the house, all of me is in the house. I can't have part of me in the house and part of me outside the house. Amen? Amen, church? He is a person. Don't treat him and don't think of him like he's some substance or force of nature or of God out there. He's not some force of God. He is a person. He is as much God as the Father is. He is as much God as Jesus is. But he's the Spirit. How can he be in you and in me at the same time? Because he's the Spirit. and He's not, he's not human. He's not natural. He's supernatural. But the promise of the scripture is that when we're born again, according to Peter, not according to Pastor Jeff, but according to Peter, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. When I came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and I got born again and God gave me the person of the Holy Spirit, he gave me all things that pertain to life and godliness right there. He did. Now what I have to do is grow in the knowledge of that. I've got to come into a realization of what's inside of me. It's kind of like living in a house and you've got outlets everywhere and you say, man, this house don't have any power. There's no electricity in here. Why? Well, because my, my, my hair dryer won't work. See, I've turned it on and, 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 and it's not working. Well, dummy, you've got to plug it into the wall there. Tap into some power. This, you got power in the house. You're not just, you just don't know you have power. You know you can live in a house and have power and not know it, and the power doesn't do you any good. I'm telling you what, there's a lot of people have the Holy Spirit living on the inside. Their Holy Spirit's in the house. They just don't know the power that's there. And if they don't know the power is there, they're not going to walk in the power. They're not going to have faith for the power. They're not going to exercise the power. They're not going to. That's why the scripture in the Old Testament said, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. That's why Paul prayed all the time, I pray that you would, that you would grow in the spirit of wisdom and revelation, in the knowledge of Christ. That you would come to know and understand what is the hope of your calling, what is the excellence of the power that's in you in Christ Jesus. The spirit is a person who controls another person. The Spirit's a person of the Godhead to control the person of the believer. It's not that the believer uses... Listen, church, this is important. It's not that the believer uses the power of God. It's that God's power uses the believer. God didn't put His Spirit in us so we could use His power. God put His Spirit in us so that His power could use us. We are Jesus said, you're branches, I'm the vine, you're the branches. 
Why is the branch in the vine? So that the branch can manifest the life that's flowing from the vine, from the root. You're a vessel, the scripture says, and God wants his power to be used and manifest through you, his vessel. The branch exists to manifest the life of the vine. We don't use God's power. God's power uses us. Remember who's the one in control? He is. And so that's, that may seem like a fine point to you, but it's important that we understand that he's the one that has put his power in us so that that power can use this vessel right here. So that his power can use us to manifest his life, to manifest his glory, to manifest the power of the Spirit. Amen? It's the Holy Spirit in us exerting his power through us. That's why we need to destroy this mentality that causes us to see and believe that being filled with the Spirit is some experience in which God pours the substance of his power into us like we would fill up an empty container. That's not true. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that. There's four places where we see, and actually I don't have time to go into it today, Okay, you say, well, what about Acts chapter 2, Pastor Jeff? On the day of Pentecost, God poured out his spirit. It came from heaven to us. You're absolutely right. And what was the reality of the spirit before then? God gave his spirit to who? To the king, to the prophet. But not to everybody. But the prophet Joel prophesied and said there is a day coming when God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Not just the king, not just the prophet, not just the servant of God whom God chooses. And when that servant's gone, when that purpose is gone, when that reign is over, then the spirit's withdrawn and God puts it on somebody else to do his work to achieve his purpose. Joel said there's a day coming when God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. When did that day come? Well, 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he said, You guys think we're drunk, but we're not drunk. What you see, what you hear, this is what was written by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Has that happened? Absolutely. Has his spirit been poured out on all flesh? Absolutely. So who can receive his spirit now? The scripture says, whoever believes. Whoever believes. We're going to look at this in just a moment. So the Holy Spirit is not a substance. He is a person. And the Holy Spirit, being a person of the Godhead, He indwells each believer in power. So what's the promise of Hebrews 13.5? God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So His Spirit's not coming and going. It's not diminishing, filling up. Diminishing, filling up, Uh uh-uh. He's a person. He resides in you. There is power in you because the Spirit is in you. God cannot diminish in power or might. Therefore, if God dwells in us by His Spirit, His power in us will not diminish. Our knowledge of it can diminish. Our knowledge of it, our reality, our understanding of it can be blinded. It can be diminished. It can be wrong. And the strongholds that I allow to exist in my mind that give me wrong thoughts and wrong understanding, the enemy can use those to render me powerless. Not because I don't have any power in me, but because I don't have any knowledge of the power. We can live in a dark house having power all in the walls, but if we don't tap into the power, we might as well not have any power there. There's a lot of Christians. God's in the house. But they have no knowledge of the power they're walking in. Why? Well, I guess maybe because some men and some seminaries and some doctrines and some things have said that power doesn't exist anymore. Just be happy to be saved and get along the best you can until we all get to heaven in the sweet by and by. That's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture says we walk in power right here. I started last night by reading Mark chapter, the last chapter of Mark. Where Jesus says, 
where he says these signs will follow who? Will follow those who believe. Right there in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 to the the end there, through 18. What signs will follow? They'll cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll, They'll lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. These signs will follow those who believe. Why? Because those who believe have received the Holy Spirit. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that does those things. Because we're vessels that God wants His power, that God wants to use for His glory. It's His power in us that God is using. It's not us using God's power, it's God's power using us. And He wants to use us to do those things, to set men free, to to preach the message of salvation, to proclaim boldly His Word, to stretch out His hand to heal. If you don't believe you have that power by the Holy Spirit living in you, then you're not going to stretch out your hand to heal. You're not going to proclaim boldly those things. God's power in us does not diminish. But listen, here's what can happen. If the Spirit dwells in us, we're not lacking power. We can only lack in surrender. We can lack in submission. We can lack in obedience. We can lack in knowledge. We can lack in faith in that power. So when we fail to surrender or submit or obey or trust, we lack in our allowing the Spirit to control our lives. How many of you have ever felt that God impressed upon you to say something or to do something and you reasoned yourself out of it? Well, that's probably not God. That's probably just me. It's probably just my my mind. Surely God wouldn't ask me to do that. Or maybe you know it's God, but it's like, God, I, I just, I can't do that, God. I'm telling you, the night the Lord told me to take off Gitana's shoes, a man I'd never met before, laying on the floor having an intense experience, God said, take his shoes off. Take his shoes and socks off. I just flat out told God, I'm not taking his shoes off, God. (laughs) I did. I bent down and I grabbed his ankles and I prayed for him, but I did not take his shoes off. And you know what? I should have taken his shoes off. God still did the miracle. But, but when it was all said and done, the testimony would have been even greater had I, had I obeyed God. But I reasoned and I talked myself out of doing it. It's like, I'll go this far, God, but I'm not going that far. The Spirit in us wants to control us. It wants to lead us. It wants to guide us. It wants us to come to the point where we hear His voice and we know His leading. And we don't question I mean, all those, all those weekends, I, I'd get wasted. I didn't ever think, well, now I better not do that. I mean, I was so controlled by the influence of alcohol, I, reason went out the window. I'm telling you what, God wants us to be so controlled by the Spirit that our human reasoning goes out the window. And we walk in the Spirit's control, submitting, surrendering, obedient, and faithful to the leading of the Spirit. We lack in our allowing the Spirit to control our life. And as believers, there's not a lack of the Spirit in us. There's only a lack of that surrender, of that surrendering control to the Spirit. What wholly takes possession of the mind is said to fill it. That's what Jesus meant when he told his disciples, I perceive that your hearts are filled with sorrow. Sorrow had wholly taken possession of their minds. They could not comprehend what Jesus just told them was going to happen to them and that he was going to go away. You're going to go away and leave us and and now you're telling us this is going to happen? Sorrow filled their hearts. What holy sorrow took possession of their minds. It took possession of their hearts. The phrase to be filled with the Spirit Therefore speaks of the Spirit wholly possessing the heart and the mind of the believer. Therefore to be filled with the Spirit is to allow the Spirit to take possession of the heart and the mind to the point that the Spirit is wholly in control. 
Amen? When you are allowing the Spirit to wholly control your life, you are being obedient to the command, be filled with the Spirit. See, if we reduce being filled with the Spirit to coming down and having some experience at the front of the church, and we say, oh, I'm filled with the Spirit, but we go back out and we don't live under the Spirit's control. You can come up here and have an experience all day long and not live your life out there in the world under the Spirit's control. And we are deceiving ourselves into thinking that just because we come to the altar and have some experience with God, I am now filled with the Spirit. And I walk out in pride saying, well, I'm filled with the Spirit. You know, at our church, we believe in the fullness, but those people over there, they don't believe in the fullness. They might be more filled than you think because they might be living more under the Spirit's control than you are. You might be puffed up in pride because you had some experience, but they might be out there actually living under the control of the Spirit. So let's rightly divide and understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You can have experiences all day long and not allow the Spirit of God to control your life. I'm telling you what, forget the experience. Just begin to live under the control of the Spirit. Quit looking for experiences and let God, by His Spirit, take control of your life. Realize that the Spirit in you is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And if it raised Christ from the dead 2,000 years ago, it can raise the dead today. It can heal the sick today. It can cast out demons today. It can set the captives free today. It can save the lost, open blind eyes, open deaf ears. It can do all of that today. If it did it before, it'll do it today because it's the same Spirit. But if we're not willing to live under the control of that Spirit, and all we're doing is chasing experiences... Then, then those things are not going to happen. They're not going to. The cross, the cross is God's instrument that brings us to the place of surrender and submission. It's why Jesus said, if any man desires to come after me, let him take up his cross daily. It's why Paul said, I die daily. He didn't literally die daily. He didn't get saved again daily. But he every day said, not my will, but your will be done, Lord Jesus. Lord, I, I want to take control of this situation, but, but I'm crucified with Christ. Spirit of God, I'm going to let you take control of this situation. In my mind, this is what I think I should do, but the mind of the Spirit is telling me something different. Who am I going to let take control of the situation? Well, we let the mind of the Spirit take control. We let the Spirit of God take control. That's what it means to be filled. So how do we become filled with the Spirit? Or let's ask it in, 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 a, in a more reasonable or an understandable way, in a more practical way. How do we live under the Spirit's control? That's the real question. Go to, look at, look at Luke eleven thirteen. It's in your message guide there. Now this, this is what Jesus told his disciples, before he went to the cross. Now understand, the Spirit of God could not be poured out on all flesh until Jesus was crucified, risen, and ascended to the Father. And it was after that resurrection, after that ascension, on the day of Pentecost, ten days after the ascension of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. But Jesus here in Luke eleven thirteen, spoke of that day when the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh and men could ask of the Father and the Father would give them the Holy Spirit. Up until that point, that could never have happened until Jesus ascended and he sent the Spirit. Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who work really hard and pray really hard to earn it. Is that what he says? But that's what we act like sometimes, isn't it? We act like we've got to become so spiritual and so we're going to do something that's going to get us so close to God that God's going to give us some special anointing. He's going to give us some special presence that nobody else has because I'm just a little bit above all these other believers. No. Where is that in the Bible? Please help me. 
If you can find that in the scripture, you come to me and correct me, please. But why do we teach theologies? Why do we reinforce things like that? Do you see what that does? That makes the common, everyday believer feel like that they are inadequate, that they somehow don't measure up. I mean, we got to get them to the really anointed man of God, the really anointed woman of God. I'm just, uh, I'm just happy I'm saved and going to heaven, but, but i got to find someone that's, that's walking in the power. Well, do you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living in you? Well, well, well yeah. Well, then you got all the power you need right there. You just need to believe that you have that power. You need to open your mouth and declare that power. You need to walk in that power. And so Jesus said, Jesus made it real simple. He said, ask. The Father is good. If you ask him, he will give you the Holy Spirit. He will. Romans, in, in, in Romans 10, 13, Paul says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me ask you, can you get saved without receiving the Holy Spirit? The answer is no, you can't. You can't. How does Jesus come to live inside of us? He lives in us, how? By the Holy Spirit. When you are born again, when you are made a new creation in Christ Jesus, Guess what? The Spirit of God comes and lives on the inside of you. You are saved. You're born again. You're a new creation. You got it right there. You have this right there. You have the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Why did God pour it out from heaven on the day of Pentecost? Because it had never been poured out before. Then we go to, then we go to Acts chapter 8. Well, then why did God, how did the Samaritans hear the preaching of the gospel but they didn't receive the Holy Spirit until the apostles went and laid hands on them. Why is that? It's a very good reason why. Do you understand what was happening with Jews and Samaritans? The Jews believed the Samaritans were dogs. And the Samaritans didn't think of the Jews any higher. Because the Samaritans were a mixed breed. They had intermarried with the nations, with the Gentiles. And there was such a division between the Jews and the Samaritans that the Samaritans would not even come to Jerusalem and worship at the temple. They had a mountain they worshipped on. They worshipped the same God. They had the same scriptures, but they did not mix together. So you know what God did in his infinite wisdom? When the Samaritans received the gospel, he sent the apostles from Jerusalem who worshipped in the temple... He sent those guys from Jerusalem and they laid hands on the Samaritans and those Jews from Jerusalem and those Samaritans from Samaria who did not, they're like oil and water, they didn't mix. But yet, God caused them both to see that it was one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism. He is Lord of all. The same Spirit that is in the Jews in Jerusalem is in the Samaritans in Samaria. And God caused them to see that there is not a division anymore. There's no longer two, but there is now one. God in Christ Jesus destroyed the wall of division. That's what Ephesians 4 says. He destroyed the wall of division and made the two one. God purposefully made those, those apostles and those disciples from Jerusalem go to Samaria. He made them witness the outpouring, the falling of the Spirit, so there would be no question that salvation had come to the Samaritans. Then you go to Acts chapter 10. Here's another outpouring. And Peter has a vision. And there's a, there's a Roman centurion named Cornelius. He has a vision. And he sends his soldier, go to the house of Simon the Tanner. There's a guy named Peter there. You need to go get him and bring him to my house. I just had a vision. An angel told me. Peter's up there praying. He's getting ready to eat lunch. But he's having some prayer and fasting time. It's almost lunchtime. He's on the rooftop, and he suddenly gets a vision. He sees this sheet come down. Kill and eat. Peter says, oh, God forbid, nothing unclean's ever touched my lips. Lord, it comes down again. God says, kill and eat, Peter. Don't call anything that I've created unclean. At that time, here's the knock at the door. Uh, excuse me, is there a guy named Peter here? We just had a vision, an angel, a, a, a divine appointment, an angelic experience, and, and, and they told my boss to, to send me here that there's a guy named Peter. Yeah, he's up on the rooftop praying. Peter comes down. You the guys that the Lord told me were coming. Yeah, we're the ones. Come with us to the house of Cornelius. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He walks in the door. You know, one of the first things he says to Cornelius, you know it's against the law for me to be here. I'm not even supposed to be in your house because I'm a Jew and you're a Gentile. Now, Peter's a believer. 
Where's the love of Jesus there? But, but see, it wasn't that Peter was unloving. It's Peter was living out of the knowledge that he had. In his mind, Jew and Gentile still don't mix. And God had to do a supernatural, above natural experience to get Peter to go to the house of a Gentile to prove something, not just to Peter, but to all the Jewish believers at that time. So Peter says, hey dude, I'm not even supposed to be in your house. This is against the law for me to be here. But I had a vision and God told me to come. And Cornelius said, look, I've gathered my whole household here. We want to hear about this Jesus. We want to hear the gospel. God says, you got something to say to me. And before Peter can even open his mouth good, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes from heaven, descends upon those Gentiles, and they begin to speak in tongues. They receive the Spirit of God just like the apostles in the upper room have received it. And Peter goes back and he said, guys, I got some big news for you. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. How do you know, Peter? That's impossible. Because I was there. Because the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on us on the day of Pentecost in that upper room, the same Holy Spirit was poured out on them. They received it the same way that we did. How can we deny salvation has come to the Gentiles when God has done this thing? And do you see why God did things the way he did it? Now, what do we know? We know salvation is, of, uh, is, is to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Think about the Great Commission. Think about Acts chapter 2, verse 8. And you'll receive the Spirit, and you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Those four outpourings mirror exactly Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem and Judea, the Samaritans, and Cornelius the Gentile. And now we know that salvation has come to all. So do we have to have an apostle lay hands on us in order to receive the Holy Spirit? That's what some seminaries teach. That's what some traditions teach. Well, that's the way they did it there. Well, they did it that way because there was a very specific thing that God was communicating, that God was showing. But the Spirit has been shed abroad. It has been poured out on all flesh. How do we receive it? Jesus said, ask the Father. Because when I ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, the only way I'm going to get the Spirit is to what? Is to come through the Son. When I get the Son, I get the Spirit. When I get the Spirit, I've got the Son. I've been crucified with Him. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. How does He live in me? He lives in me through the person of the Holy Spirit. You can't separate the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. They are one. And so when the Spirit lives in me, the Son lives in me, and the Father lives in me. Read the prayer in John 17. It's exactly what Jesus prayed. So when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the fullness of everything. You receive the fullness of His power. You do. You absolutely do. And we need to believe that, church. We need to believe that we're, if we are in Christ, we have the fullness of His power. The fullness of His power has not passed away. I'm telling you, God is still doing miracles today. He is still healing sick people today. He is still setting the oppressed free. He's still saving lost souls. Listen, if He's still saving people, He's still healing people. John... 737, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He who believes in me, Jesus said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. When do you receive the Spirit? When you believe in him. When can you start walking in the power of the Spirit? When you believe in Him, these signs will follow those who believe. Who believe what? Who believe in Him. And if you believe in Him, why don't you believe you've received His Spirit? And if you believe you've received His Spirit, why don't you believe you've received the fullness of His power? Because how can you have His Spirit and not have the power of His Spirit? How can you separate that? You can't. You can't. It's impossible. But if the enemy can convince you that you don't have it, you're like a person living in a dark house that's got electricity. You just haven't flipped the switch. You just haven't tapped into the power. 
It's in the house. Let's tap into it. Amen? What do we do? We ask. Scripture says you have not because you ask not. We do not receive because we do not ask. Call on Him and you will be saved. Ask of Him. He will give you if you believe. Jesus says thirst. Be thirsty. If you're thirsty, come to me and I'll give you something to drink. I'm convinced much of the church is not walking in power because she's not thirsty for anything. Because we have filled ourselves with so many things of the world. We're not thirsting for the living water. We're preoccupied. We have so many things that have taken the place of Christ, of the living water. We're not thirsting. He said, if you hunger and you thirst, you'll be filled. Thirst will bring you to the water and thirst will keep you there. Amen? Believe. He said, believe. He who believes out of his heart will flow. Faith will make a way for the flow of rivers. Rivers of what? Rivers of living water. Where does the river come from? Out of your innermost being. Stop looking up to heaven and waiting for God to give something to you from heaven. He's already given you Jesus. The Spirit is in you. Let the water, let the river, let the power flow from within you. It's in you. Say, well, well, well do I need to get filled up again? No, he said it's a fountain that will never run dry. As much as you can pour it out, it'll keep flowing. The problem is we dam it up and we don't let it out. Either we don't believe we've got it, we don't believe we're worthy, fear, whatever it is. But I'm telling you what, the Spirit of God wants to take control of your life and destroy that fear. He wants to destroy the doubt and the unbelief. Amen? Are you with me, church? Do you believe what I'm telling you? Because it's what the Scripture says. If we're in Christ and we do not believe the Spirit lives in us in power and we do not surrender to that Spirit in us, we will not experience what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled is not an experience. It's an ongoing reality. Live day by day, moment by moment, allowing the Spirit to fill your life, to control your life. Amen? Don't be filled with fear. Don't be filled with doubt. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't let fear control your life. Don't let doubt control your life. Let the Spirit of God control your life and the fruit that comes with that spirit let that be the manifestation of his life in you be a vessel that God's power can use amen, amen. praise God before we do anything else is there anyone here you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus if you haven't ever surrendered your life to Jesus if you're not born again you don't have the spirit of God and if you don't have the spirit of God you don't have life because he is your life Amen? Is there anyone? You say, Pastor Jeff, I want to give my life to the Lord before I leave today. Anyone? Let's all stand.